Esther chapter 10 tonight, our last chapter. It's three verses long, but it is like all the rest of this book. It's full. It's chuck full. And it certainly has some wonderful statements about our Lord as he is, uh, Mordecai uh, is given some words about him as he's promoted. And truly, we're going to see many things there with regard to our Savior, the Lord Jesus. But let's uh, read those three verses of Scripture from the book of Esther, chapter 10, verse 1. And it says, And the king Ahasuerus laid a tribute upon the land and upon the isles of the sea, and all the acts of his power and of his might, and the declaration of the greatness of Mordecai, whereupon the king advanced him, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Media and Persia? For Mordecai the Jew was next unto the king of Hasuerus, and great among the Jews, and accepted of the multitude of his brethren, seeking the wealth of his people, and speaking peace to all his seed." Now, before we go into this passage of Scripture, I just want to review a thought about this, and that is, uh, as we look at this, God prepared an advocate and a protector of his people years before Haman ever became a danger. This Esther had been born, no doubt, in in Judah, uh, She'd been taken care of there by her parents until they died. She's now under the custody of, of uh, Mordecai. When she went over there, or whether she was born in, in that uh, Persian empire, but the Lord had her marked out, had her parents marked out, had her grandparents marked out, so that the, any trouble that was going to be brought was already going to be taken care of. And we certainly see that about our Lord. Uh, before Adam had ever... Uh, sinned against the Lord, there's already a plan, a purpose, the covenant of grace. Everything has been set in order. Now, keep your finger right there, but would you turn with me to the book of Jeremiah? Uh, it, it's interesting where we find things out about the Jews, and particularly about those who are carried off into captivity. And here in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 24, book of Jeremiah, chapter 24, and I want to begin reading with verse 1. And we have a little history here about the Jews that were carried off into captivity. And there's some interesting words here with regard to God's purpose of doing that very thing. It says, The Lord showed me, and behold, two baskets of figs were set before the temple of the Lord after that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away captive Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and the princes of Judah, and the carpenters and smiths from Jerusalem, and had brought them to Babylon. One basket of had very good figs, even like the figs that were the first ripe, and the other basket had very naughty figs, which could not be eaten. They were so bad. Then said the Lord unto me, What seest thou, Jeremiah? And I said, Figs. The good figs, very good, and the evil, very evil, that cannot be eaten, they are so evil. Again the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, 
like these good figs, so will I acknowledge them that are carried away captive of Judah, whom I have sent out of this place into the land of the Chaldeans. Now notice that last three words, for their good. Now I'm sure that there were some people that argued with that, but God said he put them in Chaldea, he put them in the Persian Empire for their good. Now we're going to find out that God's going to take care of them, and it's certainly a picture that we have here of the church. He's going to take care of them, and as we were looking there in going back to the book of Esther, we want to notice there that the king of Ahasuerus, he's He's laid a tribute. He's going to collect some taxes upon the land and upon the isles of the sea. Now, the history of the world is largely unknown except how various peoples and kingdoms were in contact with the church. Now, that's why we have this. Because of the contact with the church, we're going to have the Persian Empire written about. Now, there are so many civilizations that nothing is recorded about, and we can just take it to the bank. They had nothing. There was no relationship whatsoever with anybody in the church, or they would have had something, in, at least in national, uh, national history, our history. No doubt the history of the Persian Empire and the king would have been unnoticed in Scripture if it hadn't been for this relationship that God was going to put his people there. And so we have the entire book of, of Esther. We have a lot of Jeremiah. We have a lot of the Chronicles are subject to God's will and purpose with the Jews that are going to be put into captivity. So those Persian empires, beginning with Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon and then the Persian and Medes and so forth, we'd have very little notice of them if it wasn't for their contact with the church. And that's the same with us. We have a lot more contact with people, a lot more history about people uh, in the world because of the contact with the church, the history of Germany, the history of England, the history of France, and lots of the Eastern countries and things like that where the gospel was at one time. We find nothing is written down. There isn't even a written history of all of the tribes down in, in Central America or Southern uh, South America they didn't have the gospel. They didn't have any contact with the church. And so there's nothing there. It, we know they were there. They have their, their uh, uh, the temples and all that stuff that go on there. So many civilizations have appeared and disappeared, but they had no interaction with the church whatsoever. So we're thankful that God used this particular Persian empire to make contact with the church and had Mordecai there, had Esther there, had a lot of people that were there that are pictures of the church. And so we have that history given to us. Now there's a word used in that uh, first verse that is used several times in the scripture that's very interesting the way it's used, and that is that word isles. You know, uh, when Nancy and I were gone on this trip, a, a fella asked us if we knew how many islands there were that made up part of Norway. 50,000. Wow. 50,000 islands are part of Norway. And, you know, I just went to Wikipedia. I, could, I think of the, a few islands in the Hawaiian chain. But if you look it up, there's 137 islands in the Hawaiian islands that are recognized by the state of Hawaii. 
And most of them we don't think much about. I didn't think much about the islands of Norway. We saw some that were inhabited and probably some that were not. But the ones that are inhabited, they're crowded like chicken houses on there, you know. And most of them have some way to get down to the sea because they have a boat. Well, we find here that there was going to be a taxation of some isles, islands. And to many people, islands are pretty much unnoticed. I, I'd never thought about Norway. And I think Sweden probably has about the same on the other side of the, uh, uh, there in that uh, uh, water. And all over, we saw some names of islands on the maps that I said, what? I've never heard of that place before that are up there in the North Sea. Well, it's interesting. If we'll turn over to the book of Isaiah, to the book of Isaiah in chapter <coughs> 11, this same word is used here. Isaiah uses this word about 17 different times. But it's interesting here that we find out that this is going to be a very special place that God is going to deal with. In the book of Isaiah chapter 11, as Mordecai was going to tax these people, we find out that God is going to take care of some of the peoples on the isles. And here in the book of Isaiah chapter 11, we find this brought out. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 11, the scriptures share this. It says, And it shall come to pass in that day. Now, we've looked at that term several times when we've studied the, well, I hate to use the word minor prophets, but Zechariah and some of those, and that seems to be the gospel day, that day that God brought the gospel to us or brought it to some people. And it says, In that day it shall come to pass, in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people, which shall be left from Assyria and from Egypt and from Pathros and from Cush and from Elam and from Shinar and from Hamath and from the islands of the sea. So the same word. Now, those are some, not much is said about some of those folks in the Bible. And what is said oftentimes is their tendency to worship false gods. And in preparation for our next study, the book, I think we're going to go to the book of Judges. And in the book of Judges, it's time and time again, the hindrance to Israel was that they would not remove all of those people that God told them to. He says, I'll be with you and you can take care of it and you can remove them. But they fell in love with their women and fell in love with their idols. And he just brings that up time and time again with those, the uh, judges that he raised up to help get rid of that. And then we'll not spoil the story. You know already the story. But uh, God's going to have his people, wherever they are, he's going to get the word to them. And many of them may be on some unknown island, some yeah. place that's just... And, you know, there have been islands in the middle of property, too, in the middle of countries where... The gospel was brought, and it didn't seem like it was anywhere else. Well, a couple more verses here in the book of Isaiah chapter 55. Let's look at that verse of scripture. Isaiah chapter 55, and there in, in verse 5, the scriptures share this. And it says, uh, Isaiah 55 verse 5, Behold, thou shalt call a nation that thou knowest not, and nations that knew not thee shall run unto the 
unto thee because the Lord thy God and for the Holy One of Israel, for he hath glorified. Now, I've, oh, excuse me, it's Isaiah 51, verse 5. Isaiah 51, verse 5. We'll get there. Isaiah 51, verse 5. And in this passage of scripture, it says, My righteousness is near, my salvation is gone forth, and my arms shall judge the people. The isle shall wait upon me, and my arms shall they trust. So as Ahasuerus was sending out tax collectors, we find out that the Lord sends out the gospel. And it's a, a glorious time for those that God has chosen before the foundation of the world on these isles. Wherever they're far flung, whatever place, God's going to get his word to those places. And to many of us, we may not think much of that island, but God has it in his eye. He has it because he has his people there. He's going to make sure that they either come to hear it or he's going to take somebody there. And Nancy and I met a fellow down in California that was in one of the Polynesian islands. And uh, as a result of World War II, he was forced to leave. He ended up in Holland, and then he ended up here in the United States, and that's where he heard the gospel. So God does his business like that. He's from the Isles. And uh, also in the book of Isaiah chapter 42, Isaiah chapter 42, we have verse 12, Isaiah chapter 42 and verse 12. Let them give glory unto the Lord and declare his praise in the islands. So God's going to get his word. So I just, uh, I, it struck me that Ahasuerus had the islands as a place of uh, garnering funds, and God has a business of going to the islands and garnering sheep, and he's going to take care of that. Uh, sometimes I think we're on an island here in the Dalles. Mm -hmm. uh, I wish, and I'm sincere, I wish there were other folks closer to us that we could fellowship with. I wish that happened. But for as long as we've been here, there hasn't been that much. So we're kind of an island, a bastion. Uh, as Brother Rupert used to call it down there, he called it a, a light in a dark place. So we just have to consider that sometimes. We're just a light in a dark place, an island. Well, going back there to the book of uh, Esther, the last two verses have some things to say about Mordecai. Now, there is no question in our mind that he, Mordecai, has been promoted to a very high place. Uh, he has the care of Israel, of the Jews. He has the care of the queen. And he has the care of the king. He is second in command. Now, he didn't have an underlying uh, desire to destroy people like Haman did. He didn't have, he wouldn't, doesn't have that lion spirit about him. He has an interest, I believe he has the interest in the Jews as well as the Persians. He has, he has some knowledge about God that the Persians didn't have by nature. Neither did the Jews. But he has an interest in them. And it tells us there that all the acts of his power and of his might and the declaration of the greatness of Mordecai. So Ahasuerus is saying, this guy that I've chosen for this position 
has these four qualities. It says here, the, all the acts of his power and his might and the declaration of his greatness of Mordecai, whereunto the king advanced him, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles? So there's four things about Mordecai here that really lend themselves to our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We find that Mordecai had been given a lot of power and he has acted with that power. And as we look at the Lord and we find out that the Lord has all power and all authority given unto him, all the acts of his power or all the acts of his authority. Now we don't have all that was written in the books of those Persian kings. They did. They have a lot more than we did. We do. But you know what? We have exactly what God wanted us to have. Nothing short and nothing more. We have exactly what God wanted us to have. And we have here. Now, as we look at this, we find out that uh, if we think this, that Mordecai is a type of the Lord, and I do, I just see it through and through. We have the Lord. Uh, well, let's just read this verse of scripture over in the book of Matthew. It's an amazing verse of scripture. It was so eye-opening to some of his disciples in Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, verse 27. Now, um, the captain of the ship we were on, now that ship was about 900 feet long and had 900 people on it or 900 plus people, nine passengers, and then there's a lot of crew. And we are in the North Sea and we're in the middle of a storm. And he told us the next day that we had 40 to 45 foot seas waves oh and we had winds of 100 miles an hour across the bow of that boat now it shook that boat and you could tell that there was some effect on it now it wasn't like being in a dinghy <laughs> it wasn't like being in a viking boat the old-fashioned viking boat this had power enough to deal with the waves he had to slow it down now this when i was in that storm it reminded me of this incident is here in the book of Matthew chapter 8. Now in Matthew chapter 8, verse 27. Now the Lord has just rebuked the winds. And he's rebuked the waves and it's silent. An instantaneous glass sea. And the wind isn't howling. And this is what they said. Verse 27. And the men marveled, saying, what manner of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him now the contra uh, convex of that is he brought the wind and the waves in jonah's day and there's no question about it he brought this wind to demonstrate his power now we're going to find out that mordecai he is attributed with having a lot of power and most of it was political he was able to do things from his political position that most people could not. And most of that had to do with the deliverance of the church, the care of the church. It's a wonderful thing when people are in charge that have an interest in the church. And very seldom do we find that. Even in history, we find very little of that. It, we listen to several uh, discussions by people and they talk about the church and the only church they can talk about is the Roman Catholic Church and they were not the church. They were persecuting the church, but they were not the church. So 
it, it's wonderful to have some people that are interested in the care of the church, if they're, even if they're political. And if they're not, it's, it's great to have an interest in the care of the church, just as deacons and deaconesses, <laughs> the care of the church, the body. So here the Lord is caring for his body, his church, by doing what he did and causing them to look at this and say, who is this? What manner of man is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? What manner? Now, move ahead in the book of Matthew for just a little bit to chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. <clears throat> in Matthew chapter 14, verse 22, we have this recorded about the Lord Jesus. He is power. All the acts of his power were of Mordecai were written down in the book. Now, we have the book of the acts of the power of the Lord right in front of us. And it's a delight to read through here and find out what he did and how he performed for his disciples, how he blessed them with increased faith. Now, we have the impossible... Uh, we're impossible to grow our faith. It's just absolutely impossible. We cannot grow our faith. But God gave us the word that he uses us to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But we sitting down someday cannot come up and have more faith today than we had yesterday and not have less today than we did yesterday. It's, it's a gift of God. Faith is a gift of God. He is the author and finisher of our faith. All right. Here in the book of Matthew, chapter 14, verse 22, it says, And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into the ship and go before him into the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he sent the multitudes away, he went up into the mountain apart to pray, and when evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. I had a good friend down in Klamath Falls that went to a religious show and there was a guy that was walking on water. Well, my friend went and removed one of the planks. <laughs> and he's, he removed a plank the guy was walking on under the water. And when he got to that place, he could walk on the water no longer. <laughs> and he told that as a, a funny stunt. But you know, he proved the guy a charlatan. There is only one that can do this. And that's the Lord. He was walking on the sea in his turbulence. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out with fear. And straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. Now we know the rest of the account. Peter gets out on the sea. And when he takes his eyes off the Lord, he begins to drop. Well, he makes a comment there, Lord, save me lest I perish. He understood the fact that he was not going to be stable if God did not stabilize him. He was not going to be delivered from the position if God did not deliver him. He was not out there trying to swim around. He demonstrated what we all know about ourselves. 
we can't do anything. The flesh profiteth nothing. Well, the Lord demonstrated what great power there. And we find this so often as it's presented in the scriptures. As he is presented, he demonstrates his great power. All the times he healed people, we find him demonstrating his great power. And it's written in the book. We have the record of it. It's right here. And, you know, I, uh, I may be strange, but I read that and it's just as real as if I was standing on the shore and watched it. And I believe that's what the Holy Spirit does for his people. It's just as real when we read it as if we were standing there. And we do not have to have him do it physically for us. We don't have to see the real ark. We don't have to see the chariot wheels that came off and uh, there at the Red Sea. We don't have to see that. God said this is what happened. So we just say, well, I can see it in my mind's eye. By faith, we can see those things. And we just trust the Lord because he said it in the book. And he reveals that this is his word. So the power that he demonstrated in uh, the book of Mark, turn with me to the book of Mark, if you would, uh, chapter one of the book of Mark. Chapter one, and this is a, a very telling uh, statement here about the power of the Lord. Now, this we, we recognize the power that he had to walk on water. We see the power that he could calm the sea. We see the power that he could uh, stop the wind. We see the power that he could take a maniac and heal him. We see the power that he could take a woman all bent over and straighten her up and heal the blind and all that. But my goodness, the greatest of all is when he saves our soul. That is it. That is his greatest demonstration of his power, that he would be interested in saving one of Adam's fallen children and not only be so interested in it, but write about it before the foundation of the world, that this is what I'm going to do. All that the Father giveth me shall come unto me. So the power of the Lord to save us. Now we realize from the scriptures that the same power it took to raise Jesus Christ from the dead is the power that he takes to raise us from the spiritual dead. So this is power. And there's nobody else in all the world, heaven or earth, that can do what he does with a lost soul. And it's not because the person cried out loud or prayed hard. It is because of grace. And then we cry out and pray hard. It's of grace that he does this. And it's, it's, the, it's the power of his grace. So here in the book of Mark chapter 1 verse 23, Mark chapter 1 verse 23, we read this and it says, and there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone, that we have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth, art thou come to destroy us? I know thee, who thou art, the Holy One of God. Now this demon made a greater confession about God. And we read in James that even the devils believe and tremble. And these guys, these beings are trembling. And Jesus rebuked him saying, hold thy peace and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had torn him and cried with a loud voice, he came out of him and they were all Notice this, amazed, insomuch 
that they question among themselves, saying, what thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority commandeth he even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. What a statement. They noticed that even the demons... Now, I remember one of the last times that Brother Rupert was with us, he brought a message on the maniac of Gadara. And uh, he just brought out very clearly that those demons are us, our demons. You know, and I have my own feelings about demonology and all that stuff. I don't waste 13 seconds in my 35 years of ministry of studying that stuff. Because all we have to do is look at natural man and we find out where the demons really are. And we find out it takes the Lord to cast out that lifestyle, that old life. And so that's what he did here. And the people said, what in the world is going on? This man can even cast out, well, in other words, he's, they're saying, they're confessing, this man can save a man from this. And our sin is such a demon our sin is such sinful that God would take that and remove it as far as the east is from the west that would make us clean and be presentable before the God of heaven and earth without spot or wrinkle. What power is in the blood of Jesus Christ who cleanseth us from all sin? And I just delight in that. I just, we relish in that. So he is... He has all power. And then we found with, without, with regard to Ahasuerus uh, 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 and his comments about Mordecai, the second one is he has, he has might. Now, he didn't, have, he didn't have might of his own. He had God-given might. He had God-given power. He had God-given might. Well, turn with me as we think about the Lord to the book of Isaiah. As we think about these, this, uh, the Lord is a greater Mordecai. I'm just going to say it that way. He is the true Mordecai. He is the true deliverer of Israel. He's the true uh, one. And it tells us that Mordecai was second to the king. But while the Lord was on this earth, we find out he is called the Logos, the Word. And I, I heard a preacher one time say that that... Amen. That that word was used among the Greeks that the king was sitting on his throne and he grew weary and he would draw a curtain. He would have his next in command sit down. He would open the curtain and this man sitting on the throne spoke for the king. And that word is used with regard to the Lord Jesus Christ. He speaks for the king. He is the king, but he speaks for his father. So as we look here in the book of, uh, of uh, Isaiah chapter 11 now, Isaiah chapter 11, as we think about his, his might, Mordecai is given this qualification, and it certainly is, speaks about the Lord as he's a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the book of Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1 and 2, it says this, and there shall come forth a root, uh, excuse me, a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. 
and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding and the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And they shall make him a quick understanding in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth, and he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips and shall slay the wicked. So this one identified here by the, by the prophet Isaiah as the coming Messiah. And it tells us here, he has all of these qualities and they're not with quantity. He doesn't have a quart of it. <laughs> they're with all power is given and all might is given to him. And, and uh, as Mordecai, he was given this uh, power and he was he wrote about his might and then we read about his, uh, there in that second verse or third verse, it says, or uh, second verse, uh, and of the declaration of his greatness. Now, these are all synonyms if we look at them. We have his, there in verse two, it says, it talks about his authority and then his might and his greatness. Synonyms. It's kind of like us saying, Lord God Almighty. <laughs> now, we shouldn't have to do that, but we do. And the Lord does. Book of Revelation. Lord God Almighty. Lord God Omnipotent reigneth. That's what it says over there. So they're all synonyms for the same person, emphasizing that. So as we look at this, we find out that... Uh, uh, well, let's stop in Psalm. I want to make another uh, stop there in the in the Psalm, Psalm 145, as we think about this uh, second point here uh, of his might in the in the book of the Psalm, Psalm 145. Psalm 145, verse four. One generation shall praise thy works to another and shall declare thy mighty acts. Now, in preparing for the book of Judges, it says there that Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that lived after Joshua. But as soon as those guys were dead, every man did what was right in his own eyes. Now, this passage of scripture says, one generation shall praise thy works to another and shall declare thy mighty acts. That's what we do in, with the gospel. One generation to the next. Now, we don't know the outcome of it. We don't know the effect of it. But that is our responsibility. And we find that that is one of the things that the Lord shared with, uh, with uh, Joshua about taking those 12 stones up. When your children ask what this means, be sure you tell them. And that's, that's what we have. Just honesty is all he said. Tell them what happened here. All right. In, the, in that third point, it says his declaration of his greatness. And 
again, would you look here in, in Psalm uh, 45? In Psalm 45, it's, uh, I would like to read verses 5, 6, 7, and 8 here. As we think about this characteristic that is spoken of with regard to Mordecai, and as he is a type and a picture of our Savior, the Lord Jesus, the true Mordecai, we read here in Psalm 145, and there in verse 4, we just read that, verse 5, I will speak of the glorious honor of thy majesty and of thy wondrous works, and men shall speak of the might of thy terrible acts, and I will declare thy greatness, and they shall abundantly utter the memory of thy great goodness and shall sing of thy righteousness. Now we have a lot to say there in those two verses of Scripture with regards to our privilege of sharing these things about the Lord. Just as the disciples said, what manner of man is this? That even the winds and the waves obey him. And at the other place, what manner of man is this? That even the evil spirits obey him. It was something they'd never seen. And, you know, we can honestly say we've never been down to the ocean and had someone walk up and say, be quiet, and had it happen. Now we're thankful for the days that we go down there and it is kind of calm, but we had nothing to do with it. But here, the Lord had everything to do with calming the winds and everything to do with calming the sea. And he had everything to do with bringing Peter up out of that water and putting him back in the boat. Peter said, Lord, save me lest I perish. And that's truly a sinner's prayer. Lord, save me lest I perish. I don't have the ability of doing that. You have to have that. So um, we have his greatness noted here. Now, the last thing that was mentioned about Mordecai, and this is just so often mentioned in the scriptures, that he, the king advanced him. Now, he started out, there must have been, in retrospect, there must have been some advancement given to him because he stayed real close to the, to the, to the uh, place where the king was. He was out, just outside. He could overhear those thugs plotting against the king. He overheard that and he just reported it. So he, he was not driven off to the hinterlands. He was close, but now he's much closer. He's been brought into the very presence of the king. He's second in command of the king. And he has these things said about him. And it says that he, the Lord, uh, or Ahasuerus, advanced him. Well, I like this passage of scripture with regard to our Savior. And it's found over in the book of Philippians. In the book of Philippians, chapter 2, as we think about the Lord being advanced, the Lord being put into a position that uh, we... We could never be there, but God put him in that position. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5, the scriptures share this. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. All right. You got a task on your hands. <laughs> I'm being facetious. Have you ever tried to do that? Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. You know, in religion, I worked at that. And always failed. But I'm thankful for one that has 
done that for me. And it says here, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in the fashion of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, now that's being advanced. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Well, when he saves someone, they bow. And when he hears them in the last judgment, they also will bow. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and of things in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If he isn't Lord, we have none. He's the Lord of glory. He is the sovereign king. He's the ruler over all things, and especially of our heart and of our salvation. So he's been advanced. God advanced him. In the covenant of grace, there was this. Now, it doesn't mean that he got more advanced. It just means that we recognize him as that. And uh, let's look over here in the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter uh, 1 Colossians chapter 1, verse 8, we have this about the Lord. Let me see here. 18, verse 18. Chapter 1, verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the is the beginning of the is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he should have the preeminence. There was a man by the name of Diotrephes that wanted the preeminence. And we find here that Jesus already has it. <laughs> There's no contest. There should be no contesting of it. He has the preeminence. He is first and foremost. And that's been declared by the Lord. That's been de declared by God. He is first and foremost and preeminent. He has a name which is above every name. He has a position above every position. He is God among all gods. He is king of all kings, and he is Lord of all lords. So he has the preeminence. All right, and then it says uh, in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead <clears throat> and set him in his own right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion 
and every name that is named, not only in this world, but in also in the, that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet, and gave him a, uh, to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. I think of that when we read about the tabernacle and the temple being built, and the, it says the Spirit came and filled its soul completely. Not A crevice was not filled with that. And so it is with the Lord. There's not a place that he is not in preeminence. Well, the final thing that was said over there in the book of Esther about Mordecai, are these not written in the book? Don't we have a record of them? Well, we have the record in, in the book of Esther about Mordecai. We have very little said about him other places. But when it comes to the Lord, there are two verses, two passages I want to read. And both of them are in John. John chapter 20, John chapter 21. And in this passage of scripture, it shares with us, as John is writing by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says this about this one that is in this book, the Bible, this one. Now, the Lord made the comment about himself to his disciples. Luke, twice in the book of Luke, he said he must, uh, all things, Moses, the prophets, and then the Psalms must be fulfilled. And he did that, every bit of it. Well, here in the book of John, chapter 20, verse 30, we read this. John was led to write this. He said, and many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book. Many other things happened. We're going to read the uh, companion verse to this in just a moment in the next chapter. But it says, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ. You don't need any other book. Now, you know, every once in a while I find people advertising one of the books of the Apocrypha, it should have been in. Uh, uh, Nancy and I knew a fellow that he knew there had to be at least 70 books because seven is a perfect number. And so he read the book of the Apocrypha and was going to decide which one should be in the Bible. Well, I'm afraid he got lost on his process and he's soon out of the ministry, which was the best thing for him. He should have been a farmer all along. Anyway, it says here, many other things. But these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. We have this. We don't need anything else. All of the other things that took place are not necessary. If they'd have been necessary, they'd have been in the Word. All right, now go to, with me to the next chapter, if you would. Chapter 21, verse 25. Chapter 21, verse 25. They were written in a book. Now, and there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written, everyone, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. We have what God wanted us to have. Not a letter more, not a letter less. We have what God wanted us to have. And by it, if we stand before God 
and we even insinuate that there should have been more than I would have believed, we're going to have our mouth shut so quick because this is his word. And his word is Christ. And we're just simply saying he is not enough. Well, John said, and he was there to witness a whole bunch of it. He said, if it had been written, we wouldn't have room for it in this world. Well, you know, much of that that was not written is going to be discussed, maybe, revealed, maybe, brought forward, maybe, throughout eternity. Because the scriptures tell us that through eternity, through eternity, we're going to learn more about the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's going to be an education, a blissful, glorious education that we won't have to be hindered by. What's the first thing that happens when we start reading our Bible? Choof! I wonder what the kids are doing. I wonder if I should... I, uh, and there we go. But it won't happen. I am thankful. And an elderly man that helped me a number of times in my ministry told me one time that he used to tell people, you need to read your Bible more. You need to do this more. You need to do that more. And he says, oh, what a mistake I was making. Because I don't do what I should do. All right. So, many other things, but they're not necessary. So, as we conclude this, our study of the book of Esther, with this one that is better than Mordecai, the true Mordecai, the one that delivered, is delivering, and will deliver the saints of God, all of them to the very presence of the throne of God, and there without spot and without blemish, salvation completed in Christ Jesus, a salvation that is truly a salvation. And so Mordecai, Esther, until we meet again, Lord willing, we plan on going to the book of Judges. Now, I, I shared, I think, with Mike, maybe it was on Zoom last Sunday, many times when I come to the end of a book, I open up to the index, <laughs> the list of Bible, books of the Bible, and go down through there, and you know, every, uh, every time something pops out, and says, oh, I need to look at that. Well, Judges did this time, and I read it, and I said, oh, no. This is such a terrible... There's so much in here that is so, you know, t terrible. And then you go to the people who do some of the most foolish things. You go to the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews, and they're the ones that are mentioned. So, Lord willing, next Wednesday we'll start the book of, of Judges. Uh, one of the things that I have noticed that it takes the grace of God. Why in the world would he be so gracious to that gainsaying people? And then I go, go to the New Testament and here is a lady who blessed the Lord Jesus of the tribe of Asher. He kept that line going so that that child, that lamb, that lost sheep could be saved. And well, the Benjamites in the book of Judges are nincompoops. And we get down here, Saul, 
of the tribe of Benjamin. Why did he keep that tribe intact? For that, for that one purpose, is to bring down Saul of Tarsus, the lady of the tribe of Asher. And we could just look at our own lineage. And why did he deliver our forebears? They were nincompoops, horse thieves, everything else in the world. And he did it to preserve it until we came along at least. Now what happens after that? We don't know. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Gracious Father in heaven, we're so thankful that you permitted us to go through uh, in such a simple way, to, uh, humanly speaking, to go through the book of Esther and try to glean some things that your Holy Spirit would deliver to us. And we know it's all of you that, and your sharing of it. We're just so thankful to go through it and see our Savior, uh, to see the way that he delivers his people, uh, to put people in the right place at the right time, to have all those things happen just as so timely and, and so uh, on the spot, and then to realize it's as a result of he who directs all things and carries out all things according to his purpose. We're thankful, Lord, for the opportunities that you give to us to get acquainted with those who have like faith and love the Lord Jesus and his salvation wherever they be, what a bond is knit so quickly, and we're just thankful for that. We ask, Lord, that you would uh, bless us as we prepare uh, each of us to uh, go to services on Sunday and enjoy again the preaching, whether it be in a home, uh, whether it be through Zoom, or whether it be in person. We just know that you're able to do your great purpose in any way, any capacity, and we're just thankful for that. Bless us, Lord, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Ed, it's so good to see you. Thank you. Thank you. It wasn't minutes after you left. I got another text. Lauren and Chris, did that Sunday work? Yeah, it did. Okay. I don't know what happened. Yeah, I don't know what happened. Uh, but Ed said he could, he got in on Sunday, so I thought, well, I'll just share that. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for your help today, Lauren. You're welcome. Enjoyed it. I did too. I did too. Last break in the day. <laughs> well, uh, I'm sorry to disturb the the rest of your or that part of your day, and you had to move things, you know, along and you know all that. Yeah. yeah, that calendar is so full, I can hardly find room to move anything. Okay. I stood up. <laughs> I can't read it after this group one thing. I can't read it. <laughs> oh, how are you, Chris? He's taking his drive. I had her, got her all addressed. Did you get the email? I did. I haven't, I haven't read it yet. I got it, but I haven't read it. Yeah. How are you, Chris? Can you hear me? There's tea and coffee pots of coffee. Froze up? I'm gonna let you guys I put tea and cups out. Here's...
Hi, Lauren. Hi, Lauren. They're froze. Hello, they froze, they're frozen. Yeah. Did they see me? I think they're frozen. Oh, they're frozen. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. <laughs> You're welcome. One of these days he'll break down and get a protector for that that 